So this is the first C McBee of 2024. I had kind of a dropping off in content, it would, primarily because I felt bad. Uh, I've explained this in a previous episode where I hurt my knee. I've been going to the doctor for the, my knee. My knee's sore all the time. And that has basically made it so that I've not had any sort of independent thought other than, oh, my knee. Oh, no. So this is the new year. And... I got real sick. So I was wondering maybe a combination of, of like uh, head problems and knee problems means maybe I'll be back to being creative again. I'll have more ideas. You can probably hear it in my voice. I'm not in great shape. But I have been collecting stories over the last little while, things I'd like to talk about, interesting things that are going on. So the first one is brand new year in Japan, and we had an earthquake on the first day. The blasé attitude. So I was in a very safe place. Uh, we were very far away from the epicenter of the earthquake, so nothing's wrong. I don't want to minimize what's actually happened to some real families out there who lost their homes and stuff. But we were sitting in a room. It's uh, the New Year, so it's a very social. In Japan, there's an obligation to go visit relatives, so we go house to house and visit a bunch of people. So we're sitting in a room. There's like six, seven people. All our cell phones go off at the same time. And it makes this whoop, whoop sound. And that's to tell you an earthquake's coming. Everyone goes, oh, oh, earthquake, earthquake. But then the earthquake doesn't start. So then they just sit there. And then they start to feel it. And then they go, oh, it's the earthquake. But no one got up and did anything. And this, this sort of blasé attitude I find a little weird. I guess we were in a very safe place in that we were just in a home. There was a large yard. Worst case scenario, we could go out into the large yard. Uh, I have found out that the safest room in your house is actually the bathroom because it is the smallest square. But you have to make sure the door is open because if your house shifts while an earthquake happens and the door then gets stuck in the door frame, you won't be able to open it. Like you're not going to be able to kick it open because it's just going to be stuck there because it's not straight lines anymore. So what you need to do is go into your bathroom and open the door. Or if you have a smaller room than that, but just make sure the door's open so you have access to the outside if you're going to look for a safe place to go should there be an earthquake. That's something I've learned about earthquakes. Having this conversation with a friend, I also learned that if you have important documents, like a will, you should put them in a Ziploc bag and put them in your freezer. Because if your house burns down, the contents of the freezer survive the fire. Which was interesting because I came across that piece of information because uh, I found a set of documents in my parents' freezer. And I didn't want to be too intrusive, but I was just like, hey, I found papers in a Ziploc bag in your freezer. And they're like, yeah, it's our will. I don't know if that's actually true, but certainly my parents believed it. I, it sort of makes a certain amount of sense. The things in the frozen box are more likely to survive a fire than other things. But the New Year's earthquake got me thinking about my experience in Japan with earthquakes, which is not very many. Very lucky so far. And it was my first year coming to Japan. I felt like people were almost trying to scare me. And I don't know if that's like purposefully to just like lower my confidence or like it's, it's, it's weird to, to now to mess with people. So I, I just finished a couple stories of like YouTubers and stuff messing with people. And I'm now at an age where I'm like, that just doesn't even make sense anymore. Why bother ruining someone else's day? So I've just joined this company. They're having their all-staff meeting. So all these people are in this big room. In this room, it was quite large. I'd say there was about 
200 people in the audience. And I, being brand new, just went to the very back, sat in the very back row of the chairs, just want to see what's going on and take it all in. And they had this former police officer who is now like the safety person for the company came out. And he started talking about earthquakes. They had previously had a big earthquake in Osaka, but I wasn't in Japan yet. And he said, all you people sitting in the back row, you're all dead. And I was like, what? What? That's awful. And he said, because if there's a big earthquake, the windows behind you will all shatter and that will all cut you. And then you're all going to bleed to death. And I didn't at the time. But my first thought was, why did you put chairs here? Like, why did you put us in a position where if there is a big earthquake, we are all going to die? Now, the reality is there's only so much space in the room and they want to use all the space. But it's pretty shitty to have a safety officer come out. Off, it's pretty shitty to have a safety officer come out and then say, all of you have just died because of your choice of seat. Wherein, because I came in sort of with the last group of people, didn't actually have much of a choice. I just took a seat that was open. I really, really wanted to say, why did you, the safety officer, approve of the seats being here if it was going to lead to all of our deaths? But this is, again, it's a statement he wanted to do for dramatic effect. He didn't actually want to solve the actual problem he had put forward. It was somehow our responsibility to know this, not his responsibility to inform us. I also had, at that time, there had been a big earthquake in Tokyo. There had been a big earthquake in Osaka. So therefore, it would follow that the next big earthquake is going to be in Nagoya, which is the third largest city in Japan. Now, the thing is, I, again, not knowing anything about earthquakes, never studied it. Uh, I know that earthquakes are very difficult to predict, but I also know that they don't follow an organized schedule. They don't go, well, we've done the two biggest cities. We might as well do a tour of all the big cities. That's not how earthquakes work. Earthquakes work on fault lines. So if there's a fault line in Nagoya, yes, there's very likely going to be an earthquake in that city, but it doesn't mean it's going to be the next one. The earthquake in Tokyo, that fault line could just go off like six, seven times in a row before another one happens. And it was this kind of human anthropomorphization of earthquakes as a concept. Like, we are organized and we follow schedules and we would visit all the big cities. Therefore, earthquakes, now that they've hit the two biggest cities, are going to go for the third biggest city. That's not how that works. The other aspect of the earthquake, which is really off-putting, again, not in the actual disaster sense, but just as a person who has been in this area, I've experienced a few big earthquakes. And those few big earthquakes have always happened far away, so I've always been very safe and lucky when they happen. But afterwards, I've always had people reach out, people who hadn't reached out for months and months previous, trying to see if they could get a story. And it's because they want to then go into their friend group and go, oh man, I have a friend who was in that earthquake and here's his story and I can tell his story and get the reflected glory without actually having to live in the danger. It'd be this, so, so what I realized is they don't actually care if I'm safe. They don't care about me as a person. What they care about is getting the story from me that they can then use to promote themselves amongst their social group so they'd be able to tell a story about the earthquake. It's a very weird way to think about it, but because 
if they had reached out regularly, then I would think they sincerely care. But because they only reach out after a big disaster, it makes perfect sense to me that they don't actually care about me as a person. They only care about the content I can provide them. Reactance is a word I learned last week. And I'm very interested in this because I think I am full of reactance. That and antibiotics right now. Reactance is the instinct that we have to not do as we're told. So I'm wondering like what benefit this serves evolutionary wise, because it must serve some benefit because it is clearly ingrained in a lot of people. And you either have to train yourself to understand it or ignore it. I have this visceral reaction to being told what to do. Reactance is when you tell someone to do something, they are less likely to do it. So let's say I was going to pick up my pen. Let's say I was going to adjust my microphone. If you came into this room and said, Chuck McBeef Chest, pick up your pen and adjust your microphone, I would be less likely to actually perform those tasks. Statistically, even if I was already planning to do them. Now, it turns out if you give a reason to do it, people are just as or more likely to do it as they were before. So if let's say I was about to pick up my pen and you come in, you go, Chuck McBeef Chest, can you pick up your pen because I'd like you to do something with it? Or can you pick up your pen because it's in the way of something else? I am more likely because I have a reason to just pick up that pen. But when you give an order with no reasoning behind it, there is an instinct for people to refuse that order. And it's almost like this upstart, rebellious nature that we have. Now, I am a middle-class white person uh, when I was growing up, for sure. I never had any real problems. But I was a very rebellious teenager. I wanted to be a punk rock kid. I wanted to be a bad boy. I wanted to live that life. And now looking back on it, it has to be an instinct or hormones to push back against society or your parents or something. And that, I think, is going to be directly linked to reactance. Because this reactance, it's like when I tell my kids like to do something and they ask why, and I just don't want to bother to tell them. But I should now include the reasoning in my request or command so that they understand why and will suffer less from reactance. Because maybe because I grew up in a because I told you to household. Chuck McBeef Chest, I want you to do this. And if I said why, they would say because I told you to. Because I'm an authority. And that, I think, might be why I have such a visceral reaction to it now. If you tell me to do something, my initial instinct is to not do it, even if it's a good idea. And so working with my coworkers working with my family, talking to my friends, I realized that if I can put my reasoning behind the actual thing I want other people to do, they might respond more better to doing it, and we can get more done. But it's, to me, the interesting part of reactance was how I clearly have it so strongly within myself. And if I can understand myself, maybe I can push back against that. And so when someone tells me to do something that's perfectly reasonable, I don't respond by not doing it. I want you to push that button. Ah, so I make a lot of jokes about like and subscribe because I, I try to never do that. I never want to be the person who says, hey, everybody, like and subscribe. Uh, smash that subscribe button and, and click that bell and stuff. Uh, I would like people to, but 
If I just tell you to do it, you're less likely to do it. If I go, subscribe. But if I said subscribe because it means the algorithm will support me more or something, you are more likely to do it because you have a reason to do it. Uh, now that we've come to the end of 2023, the beginning of 2024, we get a lot of top 10 lists and interesting lists. One of the more interesting lists I have come across is the most pirated shows uh, on the internet. And the reason is I am very, blah, 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 blah. I have become very anti-subscription service. Uh, I thought Netflix was good when it came out, when it started, but then everyone wanted a piece of what Netflix was making. So then everyone created their own subscription service and then it became very quickly, I can't afford to have Hulu, Disney+, Plus, HBO, Netflix, Paramount Plus to watch all the shows I want. So whereas I was willing to pay let's say $20, $30, $40 a year for a subscription service at one time, I'm now more likely to pay $20, $30 for a VPN so that I can go pirate because I can't afford to pay all these companies legitimately and they don't offer it any other way. But it led me to an interesting place. The most pirated shows are in a way the most wanted shows. They're the most, they're the shows that people actually are going to watch because you're not going to take the time to download something off the internet and then not watch it. So you're more likely to watch these shows. So you might get a show on Netflix and it says like, you know, 20 billion people started watching this, but then started watching and didn't finish or watched the first episode and then never got past it. But if you're downloading episodes of TV shows, it's because you're more likely to watch the entirety of those TV shows, which I found a very interesting idea. So I found the best of 2023 list uh, of pirated TV shows. So we're going to go 10 to 1. Number 10, Ted Lasso, show I've never watched on Apple TV. So you would need at least to, to get all the shows off this list. You would need Apple TV, Amazon, Paramount, and Disney Plus, and Netflix. no. And HBO. Netflix didn't make the list. That's actually really shocking considering how much content they put out. But we do have like the Netflix standard issue where a lot of people will say that looks like a Netflix show or it looks like a Netflix movie because it is a lower quality overall, probably because they're producing so much content so quickly. So that creation process they've done has actually lowered their appeal so much so that they didn't even make it onto the top 10 pirated list. People aren't even stealing their shows at the same volume as other shows. Or Netflix being sort of the first really powerful streaming service still has a big enough audience that people don't pirate their content in the same volume. That's a secondary issue that we need to be looked into before we make some sort of conclusion about Netflix not being on this list. But Ted Lasso, I've seen clips, actually seem pretty interesting, wouldn't actually bother to download it. So wouldn't actually bother to take the time. Uh, Amazon, number nine. Gen V, so the spinoff from The Boys. Uh, number eight, Tulsa King, a show I'd heard of, never even seen a clip on the internet. Paramount. The next one, Monarch, a show I haven't watched, but I maybe might be joining this list. Uh, Apple TV as well. And Silo, a show I have seen. Also on Apple. So that's in the bottom five of this top 10, three of the shows come from Apple, which actually shows that Apple is doing a quality level that people want, but for some, pre, but for some reason, 
is not appealing enough for people to actually pay for Apple TV+. Now, the next big chunk is all Disney+. And actually, when you hear the titles, it's pretty obvious. Secret Invasion, so Marvel. I watched the first two episodes, I think, and then quit. So that actually might be another thing. If this is done by individual episode, maybe a lot of people downloaded the first and second episodes of a series but didn't download the whole series. So that actually would be a whole other statistic to go along with this. Did they download all the episodes? Because I didn't download all the episodes of Secret Invasion. I downloaded the first one or two. I watched those, and I was like, this is not for me, and I never continued. Ahsoka, the Star Wars thing, I watched it in its entirety. I was not as impressed as I was hoping I was going to be. They seem to have lost the whole exciting adventure aspect of Star Wars. Uh, Loki, did not watch it. Mandalorian, I have watched it in its entirety. That is four shows all on the Disney Plus in the top ten pirated shows, which takes us to number one. The number one pirated show of 2023 was The Last of Us from HBO. So HBO has hit a quality level that people want to download this show, but has not hit this point where people are willing to pay them to watch this show, which is an interesting conundrum for them to be in. So this was an interesting story, and not for the reason you think it is. Enjoy talking to your new voice-controlled smart bidet. This is a story from The Verge. Uh, They're talking about smart bidet toilets. Now, the question is going to go out there, so we might as well get it out of the way really quick. I am very pro-bidet. Japan has had bidets for the entirety of the 20 years I, I've been here. One of my first girlfriends, I went to her house, and she had a bidet, and it had lots of buttons, and I didn't know what the buttons did, and I pushed some of the buttons and started to panic very quickly as things started to spray and beep and stuff. Primarily, the biggest problem was I didn't know how to turn it off. Uh, back then, they weren't using symbols. They were using kanji, the, Japanese, the Chinese characters, So since I couldn't read the characters, I should not have pushed anything. But I really wanted to know what all these buttons did, so I started pushing buttons. Now, as a foreign person, if you came to Japan and had a bidet, you would see pictures, not actual Japanese characters. Uh, And that actually would be enough probably to figure out what each function does. And stop is a big red button, which makes perfect sense. So they're talking about at CES, they uh, demonstrated a couple of toilets that are integrated with Virtual assistants. Totally lost the word for a second. Uh, They are talking about the Kohler is kicking off CES 2024 with the more accessible option. The previous one, they're talking about $10,000 for a smart toilet. This one is $2,149. The Pure Wash E930. I think my webcam is also called the E930C or something like that from Logitech. So I need to know what these codes mean so I can start looking them up. Uh, see if there is a relationship between my webcam and my toilet. But it is a voice-controlled bidet seat that lets you transform your existing toilet into a much smarter one, as in you can now boss your toilet around. Haha, <laughs> that's some good writing on the uh, author's part of this. The appeal of a bidet seat is that they let you turn your boring toilet into a much fancier one for a fraction of the price. 2000 bucks is still way too much. You can get bidet attachments for a toilet for much, much cheaper than that. It's not going to be worth $2,000. It has connection to Amazon Alexa and Google Home compatibility, which means you can use your digital assistant of choice to activate the bidet spray, warm air dryer, and UV cleaning features, and you don't have to touch anything. 
but this would be in your house. So if you don't want to touch the things that are in the bathroom in your house, you have a secondary issue you actually have to take care of first. It also works with the Kohler Connect app so you can set your preferences and presets. We might as well go over the features. It has heated seat. My toilet has that. Remote control. My toilet does not have that. But the buttons are on the wall right next to me, so I don't really need a remote control. Adjustable water temperature. Mine has that. And pressure. Mine has that. And various spray modes. I think it might. I'm not sure. It includes a softer, gentler child mode and a boost spray that goes full pressure. And you know I am going full pressure all the time. There's also an oscillating or pulsating spray, which mine does not have, but does sound very appealing, if I'm being honest. And Kohler says the water is continuously heated for constant comfort. So mine will run out of hot water. So if I bidet for too long, the water starts to get chilly down there, which is not bad because you want things to pucker up once you're finished. Uh, this They talk about LED lighting and stuff. I, I think all of that's a bit silly. This comes into me getting also a new car which seems to have nothing to do with bidet. But the actual point I want to make, which is weird, is the loss or the eschewance of buttons. Like the world is trying to get away from buttons. I don't understand why buttons have become such a thing no one wants to touch with. In the toilet, again, they make the argument that your toilet's disgusting, that you don't want to touch anything in your toilet. That would make more sense in a public toilet but in a public toilet, I'm going to go ahead and assume you're not really going to use the bidet function. So you just use the you just use the toilet as a toilet and you try not to touch anything, that's fine. In your house, it seems unnecessary. It's the same thing in a lot of cars. They're moving away from buttons. They want touchpads. And one of the things, it was actually Star Trek that made me think of this first. Probably back in the 90s when they did The Next Generation and they had that big panel in front of them and they'd be like swiping it and doing things. And it seemed very futuristic at the time. But it also seemed to me very inefficient because there was A, no tactile feedback. I mean, it may have had haptic responses that I was unaware of because they never said that in the show. But it, hadn't, it didn't seem to have any tactile feedback. So I don't know if I've actually pushed the button. So if you are on a spaceship and you're pushing buttons you know you've pushed a button. If you're on a spaceship and you touch a panel, you're not really going to know if something happened until the action happens that you wanted. And if it didn't happen, maybe you didn't push it. Maybe your finger wasn't in the right spot. Maybe you're like me and you don't conduct enough electricity because every now and then I've tried to use my phone when my hands are cold and it doesn't respond to my fingers because I'm not conducting any electricity. So there seems to be this science fiction let's move forward to not using buttons. So everything was touch panels. And then the Tesla came out, and it was, had that big touch panel. And a lot of drivers were saying it's very hard to use the touch panel while you're driving. And they have moved away from a gear shifter, and they had the dial. And anyone who loves cars hates the dial. And then I saw one, and it was little flappy paddles. Uh, not for the gear shifter, but for everything in the car. It was a little paddle you put up and down. My car does not have an emergency brake in the traditional sense. It has a little flap you push down, and you lift it up before you drive. And it seems more like that is just so you do something. It actually seems to me that once you turn the car off, at this point in technology-wise, it could just put on the emergency brake itself automatically. It doesn't really need me to push that button. I guess if the battery dies, I need to be able to take it out of the actual uh, emergency brake. But then I'm thinking, because it's a little button, if the battery's dead, it probably wouldn't change anyways. I'm now wondering if it's a placebo e-brake. 
which it very much, very much, well, it very well might be. But this is the same thing. They are taking it a step further, more science fiction-y. What's more science fiction-y than touch panels? Voice controls. And I've always hated voice controls because I actually don't necessarily want to be in the toilet talking to my toilet. I don't want to be in the toilet and tell the toilet to blast my ass as hard as it can where my family can actually hear my voice outside saying, you know, put on Chunk My Beef Chest's favorite setting, ass blast 1000, and then they hear the like spray hit as hard as it can. I don't want voice controls on everything. Uh, voice controls in cars suffer from the fact that there's a lot of noise and it often can't hear or understand what you're saying. I also don't want to do a voice control to my toilet and then have the toilet misinterpret what I say and do something else. Like, anything that's doing your butt that's a surprise is probably a bad thing. If you are prepared for it, if you want it, it's probably going to be great. If you don't want it, you don't want a surprise in your butt. I think we can just say that right now. I like the buttons on the panel next to my bidet. I like the touch, the buttons. I like the tactile feel of buttons in my car because I know even if I'm not looking at it, I know if I've pushed a button or not. Maybe I pushed the wrong one, but that's sort of more on me because I should learn where the buttons are. And I, I want to know if there's going to be a pushback. I, this is what I actually think. This is going to be my technological prediction, not for next year, for a bunch of years down the line. There's going to be this retro pushback towards tactile buttons because we're going to get tired of not actually knowing if we push the button. We're going to get very tired very quickly of having to talk to every device in our house. Often when I come home, the last thing I actually want to do is talk to anyone, including my family that I love and who loves me very much. I often want to go into my room and be silent because part of my job is talking to people. So I get very tired of talking to people. I don't want to then talk to my PlayStation, talk to my computer, talk to my room to turn it on, and then go to the toilet and talk to my bidet. Technologists of the world, if you're watching or listening to C. McBee, just take a moment and think about how good a good button feels. Because I'm about to push this button, which ends the episode.